gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said if two or three would be gathered in his name, he'd be there in the midst of them. Amen. I know it's hard sometimes. We work a full day of work and then we come and pull ourselves into church and I want to say God bless you for that. That's, I believe the Lord sees our sacrifices when we come and we just put our own flesh aside and say alright, forget my own flesh. I want to be in the house of the Lord. I want to hear what he has for me. Amen. You believe you want to receive from him tonight? Amen. You believe he's here? Amen. 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 I just want to say this Friday we're also going to have a youth meeting, 7.30 p.m. It'll be here at the church for anyone who hasn't gotten that announcement, but we'll just be here Friday. But just before maybe we go to the word, I, I just remain standing. I just had a couple requests. Maybe I'd just bring them before you and we could agree together in faith and pray. For these needs, um, one of them would be Brother Bob Combe. Just he's still recovering. We just want to remember him in prayer, and the Lord will give him a full recovery. And uh, we'd love to see him soon in the house of the Lord, wouldn't we? Amen, amen. And we just want to remember the Adrian family has asked us if we'd remember Brother Luke Semenuk in prayer. Um, he's scheduled for a surgery here this week. Or a stint to be put in his liver help help out with that and I believe if we just bind our hearts together in love brother Luke's a part of the body we love him dearly and we want to see the Lord has touched him many ways but we believe the Lord does a full work a complete healing let's just bow our heads together as the sisters plays that song 
God still moves, even in these situations. Brother Luke, God still moves. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord. We love you with all of our heart. Our soul and our minds are yours, Lord. Our bodies, Lord Jesus, are your body, Lord. Father, we could go where you want us to go and say the things you want us to say. May the things we hear be only that which you want us to hear, Father. May the things that we look upon, Lord, be that which you would desire to see. Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to look into your word tonight and to be able to be in your presence, Lord, in this atmosphere, knowing, Lord, that you are still God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, that nothing is too hard for you. Father, we just want to bring a, some requests, Lord, as a body of Christ. Lord, that these things are on upon our heart, Lord, and we love you. We remember them in our prayer closets. We remember them, Father. But, Lord, to bind our faith together, to come as your bride, and ask you, our husband, Lord, that you would remember those of us who are hurting. For when one member suffers, we all suffer, Lord. Father, remember Brother Bob, Lord. Lord, you know where he's at in his recovery, Lord. You know, Lord Jesus, how it is at his age. But, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just be a strength to him, Lord. Bear him up, Lord, on wings, Lord Jesus, like an eagle, Father. That, Lord, he could recover, Lord, all the way. Lord, that there would not be any hindrances, Lord Jesus. Father, I just think, Lord, now of Brother Luke, Lord, facing down this surgery. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd be a real strength, Lord, unto him. Lord, that you would fill him, O God, with the love of God, that, Lord, it would cast out all fear. For you said perfect love casts out all fear, Lord. That's a promise in the word. So we pray, Father, you'd be with him, Lord. May your spirit be with him and even in him, O God. That, Lord, he wouldn't have anything to fear or to worry about. But, Lord, that you are the one that is in control. You appoint our footsteps, Lord Jesus. You know the things that we have need to go through. You've brought them this far, and we believe together, and we have faith that you will bring them safely all the way through this trial. For, Lord, we agree these things together. And you said if two or three as touching anything would agree and ask in the name of Jesus Christ, they would have what they asked for. So now we ask it in your holy name for Luke's healing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Lord, will you just bless this service now. We just commit all things into your hands. Pray, Lord, you just anoint the ears that would hear. My lips, Father, help me only to speak, Lord, that which you would desire. Close my mouth to anything else, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you, musicians. Brother John, God bless you. Amen. Amen. The book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We've been keeping the sound technician on his toes tonight. Brother John took the minister's mic, so I've got the song leader mic. And then John tried to close. God bless you, buddy. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Bring you greetings once again from Brother Ed. He's in Nigeria. He spoke yesterday and then today and then tomorrow and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day. So he'll be speaking every day through Sunday and then be heading home shortly after that. So we'll just continue to remember him in prayer as he's there and uh, 
ministering the word in the convention there. So, amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. It says, and he said unto them, sorry, Brother John, if you can turn the monitor down, that'd be great. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Amen. Let's go also over to Galatians with me, if you will. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. We'll just read a couple of verses here. Verse 14 and 15 says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Amen. May the Lord as blessing to the reading of the word you may have your seats. Amen. I want to take a, a, a thought tonight, and we'll just once again see how it we go. I thought I would carry on just from Sunday morning, but the Lord just intervened last night and yesterday morning, really, and started moving in a different direction, so I trust you'll bear with me and uh, just pull with all your heart. and Whatever you have need of, the Lord's able to provide it. Amen. And I'll just take for a simple title, just one word tonight, that is incorruptible. Incorruptible. And I want to just start with this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, for it says, In Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And I want to look at this word for a minute, if I could just look at a few words, maybe starting out being a Wednesday night. I know you're, you're not here on a Wednesday night just to have a, a, a wonderful fluffy time, but just get some, some meat. So is that okay if we dig right in and just maybe go a little bit deeper tonight? And the word availeth is, is actually, if you look at the Greek word of availeth, I didn't write down what the actual Greek word was, but the word means to have power. So in other words, he's saying, for in Christ Jesus, circumcision or uncircumcision does not give you any power. But to be a new creature in Christ Jesus is what gives you power in Christ Jesus. As he said in Acts chapter 1 where he said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Amen. And he says that now in Christ what avails power is that you are not the old creature anymore. But you're a new creature. You're made new, completely new. And as we'll get into Brother Ram would say, it's not a remaking of the old creature. It's not being born the old creature, but rather it's a completely new creation. Being a new creature in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation in Christ. And I want to just look at this because this word power where it says availeth or to have power 
with Christ. This is in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, which we read twice on Sunday. I read it, but the John read it. it. says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing. In other words, that word there, good for nothing, is the same word or the opposite of availeth, which if it's good for nothing means it has no power. The, the salt, if it's lost its savor, it has no power that it once had. But it says, but it is cast out to be trodden underfoot. And the next verse we know is, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid. But if the salt, if you've lost your savor, if you've lost what makes you what you ought to be, you've lost the power. If the salt doesn't have any savor, it has no power. In Mark chapter 9, there's a familiar uh, story to every believer where uh, there would come a man would bring his child that would be casting itself and he would have, I believe it was an epileptic devil, but he, it was the, he brought him to Jesus because the disciples had prayed for him and they said, but your, your disciples could not cast him out. And in Mark chapter 9 and verse 18, it says, And whethersoever he taketh him, he, the, the devil taketh him, he teareth him, he foameth, he gnashes his teeth, he pineth away, and I spake to thy disciples, but they should not cast him out. In other words, the Bible there is the same word as saying, they had no power over this devil. It says, and they could not. But Jesus answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now, I want to just, uh, just stop here because this is uh, quite a, a point. Because Jesus had given them power to go out into the world and to preach and to cast out devils. And he gave them power to heal the sick. He gave them power to raise the dead. He gave them power to do all these things. But here the man's coming saying, I brought them to your disciples, but they didn't have the power. What happened to the power? Because even in the, the, the power that Jesus gave his disciples, it's the same as when he gives us authority. It's saying it's based on something. It's not just that he gives us and it's now it's just yours. And it, No, it's based on your faith because he right away turns around and says, Oh, faithless generation. There's something that happened where whatever disciples it was that were praying for this young man had lost the faith that it took to operate the power that God had given them. Because now Jesus looks at it this way, faithless, and in this word faithless, if we could just look at the Greek, I'm sorry to be so technical with it, but it really opens a lot of things up. And, 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 and as we look at it here, this word faithless is actually the word uh, apistos, Apistos in the Greek, which is the adjective of the word faith. It's actually the adjective, uh, adjective of the opposite of faith. Faithless, it's the opposite of faith, which means a lack of substance faith. I want to just open some things up. I know some of you brothers, we were part of a Bible study last night, and Brother Tim was going into some of this as well, and I'm actually not getting this from him because I was studying on this yesterday morning, and then he, we started studying it last night as a group, and I'm sorry to all you that weren't there, and I thought, oh man, there's going to be three or four brothers here that are going to go, Brother Andrew, you got that from somebody else. I didn't, so get that out of your mind. <laughs> all right, I dealt with those few. We're good now. But Mark chapter 9 and verse 24, if you jump down to verse 24, Brother Danny we know that he says, and Jesus begins to talk to him, and then the father says, straightway the father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. 
Jesus was looking for somebody with faith. He says, do you have faith? He says, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. But this word here where he says, Lord, I believe, is pistio in the Greek, which means to believe. Now, that doesn't sound very deep. But, it, but the, the translation in the King James Version is, help thou my unbelief, but it's actually not just believe and unbelief. Because the word unbelief is epistia, which is the noun, just like apistos is the, na- is the adjective of the opposite of faith. Epistia is the noun of the opposite, opposite of faith. So now he's looking at saying, listen, when he says, Lord, I believe, there's two different words here for believing, and there's two different words here for faith. One is a, a verb, the, the, the Lord I believe, pistio is a verb saying, I believe, and it means I believe. But when he says, help thou my unbelief, it's actually a noun which is saying, which is saying, Lord, help thou my lack of substance faith. Because I want you to notice this, because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, brings out, says, what is faith? Faith is a substance. Amen. It's a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in other words, it's talking about saying, what is faith? What is Jesus asking for? Oh, faithless generation. Do you have faith for these things? He's saying, Lord, I believe, but help thou my lack of substance faith. I believe in who you are, but I don't have a substance of it. I don't have something that's real and tangible to actually hang on to and say, this is a reality to me. I'm missing that. And he was, he was willing and humble enough to be able to recognize and admit that because substance, that word there, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance is the word hypostasis, which is the setting or the placing under or the foundation in actual existence. The substance that all else is built upon. Now, just stay with me on this. Are you with me? All right. This word substance, if we could look at this for a minute, because this is where it expounded even bigger to me last night, which is in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the word substance or hypostiosis, which is Hebrews 1, verse 3 says, who being, or maybe I'll give you a moment. Why don't you put that up there? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. You can follow along, and I'm not rushing through it. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And then we'll go Hebrews 3, verse 14 after that. I'm putting you on the spot. Amen. I just want you to follow along on this. Maybe turn in your Bibles. We'll see if we can beat Brother Danny. He's working hard, but the computer's giving him a hard time. Computers, they don't, they don't understand. It's, it's important. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Now remember that word substance. Postiosis is the, the basis, the foundation. It's the, the, the setting under of everything, the placing under, the foundation of it. He says, who being in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. That word person is the same Greek word as the word substance. It's the same word over there that says, it's the person of Jesus Christ is the substance. It's the upholding of all things by the word of his power. 
Now, if you go down with me to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14. It says, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, that word confidence there is the same word again in the Greek. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, the confidence, the person, the substance, it's beginning to point out uh, or, or, or to go deeper into really what this faith is. And he says, oh, faithless generation, you're lacking something. You say, Lord, I believe. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that the word is true. I believe all these things. But is there a substance that's coming behind it? Is there the person of Jesus Christ that has come in to confirm the reality of it? Because really, if, if you take this together, the person of Jesus Christ in us is our actual confidence in the integrity, in the stability, in the reality that every word of God is the truth. It's not, it's not just a based on some conceptual or intellectual idea. It's also not just some nice feeling. It's also not just, well, I'm a new creed. Uh, I've been born again. But what does that really mean to go into that? We say, well, it's a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. But it really is the person of Jesus Christ. It's no longer just you having confidence, but it's Jesus Christ in you having confidence, which is an actual substance confidence in the Word of God, or the person of Jesus Christ in you is the actual substance of your faith. It's positive, Brother Branham says. In another place, and we'll get into the, the larger portion of this quote soon, but that right, he makes a statement in the, in the message, Perfect Faith. He says, and the, a believer is the faith of God that moves in you. The believer is, and I'm going to really unpack that tonight if I can. The believer is the faith of God that moves in you. He is the quickening power. Well, the scripture says, Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwell in you. Sometimes we read that like, well, whatever spirit that is. No, that's the Holy Ghost. That is Jesus Christ. That is the same God. If he dwells in you, he will also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. In other words, it's a real substance. It's a real something that is tangible, that makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, if I just back up and go back into the message here, this is from the message, um, Why Some People Can't Keep the Victory. It says, watch him as he goes about, as we read in, in, in Acts chapter 1, how that right in their sight he was taken out from them. Right after saying, after we receive the Holy Ghost, you'll have power. Or you'll receive power after you've received the Holy Ghost. It says, watch him as he goes about a few days later. When he's gathered his disciples on the bank, he's preaching to them the last beautiful, last beautiful words on those lips of his working here. Bringing forth words and it's falling. And go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. These signs shall follow them that believe. But as he begins to speak, he says, I begin to see daylight coming under his feet. What's the matter? It's God showing his power. He's raising up. 
He's, he's, he's defying the law of gravitation. He's being lifted up. Why is it? He's the creator of gravitation. And here he is. He descends on up. He ascends on up till he gets up on high and he sets down quietly at the feet of the majesty on high. Oh, glory to God. There he is with all his power in heaven and earth in his hands. Not even one little wave can move on the ocean unless he permits it. That's the power of God as Jesus sets on the right hand of God, which means he sets with full power and authority. Amen. And not one wave in the ocean can even move without him allowing it. But I thought the moon controlled the ocean. No, God is the one that by faith controls because we know that the world was formed by faith. That God spoke and believed his own word and he was the substance of his own faith. Oh, hallelujah. And he began to show his own power right there in the midst of the people. Not only did they hear the word that he said, uh, uh, kill me or destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. Not only did they see that, they also saw it come to pass that he rose again on the third day. They saw him appear to him in a closed and locked room. They saw him do all these things. But now right in the midst of his disciples, a few hundred of them, they begin to, he begins to just raise up. This isn't a levitation trick like some monk would do because he just kept on going until he disappeared into the clouds. And what happened in the meantime, two angels come back down and they said, why are you standing here? Go do what he said. He told you his word and it always came to pass. So I suggest you go do what his word said because it's going to come to pass. Amen. So after you will receive power, after you have received the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He says, and this carries on the same quote, says, and that power of that same thing working in us to make us new creatures in Christ Jesus. The same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. The same power that raised him right up off the earth and took him into heaven. The same power that allows every wave in the ocean. The same power that allows every animal to move, every tree to grow, every, every resurrection, every springtime. The same power is the same power that allows us to become, makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Oh, brother, where's that power comes? There's where power comes, he says. There's where power comes as a new creature. We just read it right there. Galatians. What gives you power in Christ Jesus? A new creature. His power makes you a new creature, and it gives you power. He says, it's your, our faith brings down. Hallelujah. Our faith brings that power down. Our faith, which is love, it casts away. Oh, our faith, which is love, God is love. Our faith, which is love. It, it, it casts away all fear that we think, all fear that we think God wouldn't keep his word. When I saw the very love and grace of Christ, it brings him right down to us. That mighty power of God begins to work into the church. Oh my, it brings him, Christ, right down to us and his mighty power. Why? Because there's faith there and he's the substance of that faith. And he begins to work in the church. Love that conquers. I tell you, love is the most powerful thing there is in the world. There's nothing will take its place.
love. I just want to take a step back at this is because you have to receive it. Our faith brings it down to us, but we have to receive it. If you go to Leviticus chapter 11 with me, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 36. So I was listening yesterday morning to my Bible app, and I just come across this scripture. I had to do a full stop, and the Lord just began to speak in a different way, and so I trust this will come across clearly. Because this is a scripture where, where it's talking about clean and unclean, and it's talking about unclean animals, and if they touch these things, and it just it goes down to the unclean thing that creepeth upon the earth like snails and mice and different things like that that creeps or it has four legs. And he says, if these things, the dead carcass of these things, if they would touch a certain something, it would be unclean till evening. If it would touch something else, it would be unclean till evening. If it would touch something else, and it, would just, it just went down a long list that we won't read because you can read it if, when you go home, but it's quite a long list. If it touches this or that or this or that, it's unclean. But then it comes down to verse 36, and it says, Nevertheless, a fountain or pit... Wherein there is plenty of water shall be clean. But that which toucheth their carcass shall be unclean. So in other words, whatever it touched to get in that fountain or pit is unclean, but the water's not unclean if there's plenty of water. Now go down to the next verse. It says in verse, in verse 37, it says, But if, that, if any part of their carcass is a dead, unclean, creeping, crawling thing, if their, if their carcass fall upon any sowing seed which is to be sown, it shall be clean. In other words, a well or a pit that has plenty of water or a seed that's for sowing, if it touches any of these, these two things, anything else it seems it's unclean, if you read through the scripture, but these two things it says, no, they're clean. But then if you go down to the very next verse, it says this, but if any water has come upon the seed and any car- part of the carcass fall thereon, it shall be unclean. Now you've got, if they're separate and it touches it, they're clean. But if you put them together and it touches it, it's unclean. Now this is, it talks about it twice in the book of Hebrews, but we could go, to, go I'll just paraphrase it and talk it this way to you. If a dead carcass falls on the water of the word, a place where there's plenty of water. What did Ezekiel say? He said, he took me out so many paces, and there was water to my ankles. He took me out so many more paces, there was water to my knees. So many paces, water to my waist. So many paces, there was water to swim in. It was just an, an abundance of water. If it touches the word of God, something that's unclean comes across the word of God. It doesn't make the word unclean. But then he goes on to say, but the seed that is to be planted, in other words, there's a predestinated seed gene of God. If it has been set there and something come unclean against it, it doesn't make that seed unclean. But if the water comes to the seed, but it isn't planted. The only way a dead, unclean carcass could touch a seed that has been watered is if it's not been planted. You didn't do with it what it's supposed to do. Water came prematurely to the seed. Or in other words, the seed was not planted. It wasn't received into the earth. It couldn't bring forth. So if you were to receive the word, but you don't take it into your heart and believe it, 
if you reject the word for your day, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, Hebrews would say. Saying now if you take the word of God and the word has come to the seed, but you put an unclean thing on top of it. Disbelief. Unbelief. The whole thing now is unclean. But if you have the seed and you plant the seed and the word begins to come to it. In other words, if you die out to yourself and say, Lord, not my will, not whatever I want, not, not my ideas, but just your ideas. I come and I believe the word of God that no matter what, I've cast out all my own thoughts and I take God's word as my own thoughts and as my own, that's what I'm taking in here. In other words, I'm dying out, I'm planting myself and then he begins to water it with the washing of the water by the word. Now touch that with any unclean thing. It won't be unclean because it's planted, it's dead. It'll bring back life again. Hallelujah. It's, it's got to be planted in your heart. Brother Brennan would say in God's power to transform, he says, oh, wondering star. Let's stop wondering, son. Wondering seed that's going from place to place in this deformity. Turn this morning. Please hear me as a man trying to stand between the living and the dead. What's he saying? If you're that kind of seed that's been about and you're hearing the water, don't keep wondering. Don't keep wandering about in dry places. Plant yourself in the word of God and allow him to give the increase. Sit in a church and allow the washing of the water of the word to bring forth the increase. Because once that seed is planted, the seed then becomes even untraceable. Now it is incorruptible and it doesn't matter what falls upon it. Or you could, you could have this and a deer die on it and a mouse die on it and a snail die on it and this person and that person. Why? As long as you've been planted in the word and the God is beginning to water that predestined seed gene of God that's in you. In other words, somebody could throw this at you and throw that at you and show you this and show you that and give you all kinds of sinful things. It won't corrupt that anymore because it's already dead. The person that you once were is not you anymore. Hallelujah. Brother Brennan would say in perfect faith, this is the expansion of the statement that I read earlier. He says, now the only thing you have to do then is have faith in what you are. Have faith in what the word says you are. Jesus had faith in the word of God that said, when he said, it's written of me, didn't David and the Psalms and the prophets and all them speak of him? I am the bread of life that come from God out of heaven. Amen. I am the tree of life from the garden of Eden. I am all these things. I am that I am. And he knew with that perfect faith that he was the anointed Messiah, that the spirit of God was upon him. He said, now I in myself do nothing. But Brother Branham says it this way, because we know the scripture that he's referring to, the very scripture he's referring to is, is, is John 5, 17 to 19, where in verse 19, where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever things he doeth, that doeth the Son likewise. But Brother Branham takes that and says, Now I myself do nothing but my faith in God. In other words, he's saying the Father in me is the substance of my faith. That what I'm doing is because God is in me moving me and compelling me to do it. And I believe the word that he's telling me to do. See, God was in him. 
the word made manifest. When the word of God comes in you, Brother Branham goes on, when the word of God comes in you, it's made manifest for you are a believer. Then he describes what a believer is. A believer is the faith of God that moves in you. Praise be to God. So then faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. But now we live in an age, in Amos chapter 8, we'll talk about it. Amos 8, verse 11 to 13 says, Behold, the day come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of, for water, but, for hear, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins, young men, faint for thirst. We're living in that kind of a day. Where there's a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. But how does faith come? It comes by hearing the word. So when Jesus said, will I find faith when I come? In other words, they have to hear the word in order to get the faith. There can't be any substance to their faith unless there is word that is deposited in them to bring it forth. Brown says in the Sardisian church age, though, he says, but God is God. And because he is God, one cannot defeat his counsel or thwart his will or purpose. But he, being omnipotent, is ruling in all affairs and is doing whatever he will with all his creation because we all were created for his good pleasure. He's God. He'll do what he will. No one, not the devil, no one, not Obama, not Biden, not whatever the Russian guy is, Putin, they cannot defeat his counsel. They will not defeat his purpose. Not all of the armies of the world could defeat the purpose of God. Not all of the intellects of the world could defeat the purpose of God. He's omnipotent. I'm, I'm emphasizing this for a purpose because we're all created for his good pleasure. Let me just go to another, another scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come. Being a new creature is what gives you power. If you are in Christ, in other words, if you are born again into that body, because we are all baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ, you are a new creature. You have power. 
Old things then are passed away. Behold, all things become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and hath given to us this ministry of reconciliation. Notice what he's, what, he's, what, he's, what he's talking about here. He's saying, no, no, God has done all these mighty things. He's made you a new creature, but he gave to you. We are creatures that we are all, he's ruling over all of us because we are creatures, we are created, and we will do according, to, we are, I guess I keep mixing up my words. We are created for his own good pleasure. There we are. We're created for his own good pleasure, but he gives us, in other words, he's, his pleasure is to give us a ministry. To give us a purpose, to share in his purpose. But nothing can defeat his purpose. But he gives us the ability to share in that purpose. But now all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us this ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, we're not the ones doing the reconciliation. That's Jesus Christ. But we have a ministry of reconciliation with the same last words that he spoke of. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. These signs shall follow them that believe. And he says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. To commit something isn't it's a temporary thing. He committed it to men. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. Perfectly displays what the ministry of reconciliation is. We pray you in Christ's stead. I'm here as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I implore you, be reconciled. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. I want to take the section from the Church Age book here. I'm still doing okay on time. So, From the Church Age book, Laodicean Church Age, Brother Branham takes this section. He says, but now, now he is standing in the midst of the church as he stands there revealing who he is in the last age. He calls himself the author of the creation of God. This is another creation. We know that in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, we know that the worlds are formed by faith, that God spoke and by faith believed. But now, he says, this is another creation. This has to do with the church. This is a special designation of himself. He is the creator of that church. The heavenly bridegroom created his own bride. Hallelujah. It wasn't that he chose himself a bride. He created himself a bride. Yes, he chose her before the foundation of the world. But then he came down and he created her and spoke her into existence. Mary was the human incubator as she carried the holy child and brought him to birth. It was a God-man. He was the son of God. He was, the, he was of the new creation. Man and God met and joined. He was the first of this new race. What was the new race? A God-man race. 
That God and man join together. He is the head of that new race. We know Colossians 1.18, Corinthians 5.17, where it says he is the body, he is the head of the body of the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminences. Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. We read that. He says, There you see now that through man, that through man was of the old old order of creation, now in union with Christ, he has become the new, oh my, we see that we can see that through man was the old order of creation, but now in union with Christ, he has become the new creation of God, that we, in union with Christ, become the new creation of God, for we are his workmanship, created in union with Christ Jesus unto good works. Ephesians 4.24 says, And he put, on the, put ye on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Oh. All right, there we go. This new creation is not the old creation made over. It could not be called, he says, or it could not be called a new creation. This is exactly what it says it is. It's a new creation. It is another creation distinct from the old one. I know I'm taking it slow, but, and, and these things are familiar to believers, but it's a, it's a new creation that is distinct. It's, it's completely separate. It's a distinct creation. It's not intermingled. It's not, it's not interjoined. It's a distinct creation. But now, out of every kindred tongue, tribe and tongue, he has purposed a new creation. And nothing can defeat his purpose. He is the first of that creation. He was God created in the form of a man. Now by his spirit, he is, he is creating many sons unto himself. God the creator creating himself a part of his creation. This is the true revelation of God. This was his purpose. This purpose took form through election. That is why he could look right down here in the last age because of election. He could look right down here in the last age when all would be over and see himself still in the midst of the church. As author of this new creation of God, his sovereign power brought it to pass. By his own decree, he elected the members of this new creation. He predestined them to the adoption of children according to the good pleasure of his will. By his omniscience and omnipotence, he brought it to pass. He's ruling over it. Nothing can defeat it. We are created for his own good pleasure. He says, how else could he know that he would be standing in the midst of the church receiving glory from his brethren if he did not make sure? How did he make sure? He elected. He became the substance of that faith. The church is made up of individuals. It's Christ standing in the midst of individuals. In other words, he's not saying that he would know he'd be standing here in the middle of a building, in the middle of a bunch of people receiving all the glory. But rather, from 
What was the Holy Ghost given for in 1959? He says, he deals with the church as an individual. Each individual in the church. And now it's got a time. It's no secret. We will see it when a man proves and God loves him. He takes him out somewhere to himself there in front of the angels. He does something for him. He lifts him up there in the presence of God, gifts him, fills him, sets him out there. That's the age that we're living in. That God deals with us as individuals. It's not Christ in a many-member body as much as it is him in a many-member body. But he deals with the individual so he knows he's standing in the midst of each individual. Receiving all the glory. All things he knew, that all things he worked out according to what he knew in order that his purpose and good pleasure would be brought to pass. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you belong to him? See, it's the person of Jesus Christ in the individual, the actual substance of our faith. He said, oh, faithless generation. I thank God we are not a faithless generation. All around us is a faithless generation. Why? Because there's a famine for hearing the word. If they can't hear the word, they'll never have the faith. But because you sit under the sound of this end time gospel and you hear the word of God being preached to you and received into your hearts, it is the actual person of Jesus Christ giving you which is the substance of your faith. Oh, let the truth set you free tonight. The same quickening power that could stand there when Jesus stood there and said, destroy this temple and raise it up again in three days is the same quickening power that's in you because it's not a different person. It's the same person. The same power that Jesus could say, thy brother will rise again. It's the same person in any individuals of the church. It's the same Holy Ghost. It's the same quickening power. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? It's the same person, Jesus Christ, the substance of our faith. To speak with that confidence, that real substance faith, that's the same quickening power that's in every son and daughter of God today. Oh, my you okay if we go further? You're still with me. Abraham says, convinced and then concerned. He says, when the Holy Ghost comes into you, he makes you a new creature. Yes, sir, he makes you a new creature. And he puts himself within you. And you are his idol. <laughs> you... He is living inside of you, working, moving his own way in you. What's an idol? An idol is a dead substance that is an image of a God. You are his idol. In and of itself, an idol has no power. But it represents an all-powerful being. We as believers are nothing more than a few cents worth of elements. But your flesh is not the believer. Even your spirit is not the believer. 
The believer is the faith of God that moves in you. That's why you cannot disbelieve if you are predestinated to this. Why? Because it's Jesus Christ that comes right on into you. And he himself is the believer. Oh, Ezekiel 36 says, And I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. And from all your idols will I cleanse you. It says you can't have any other idol before you. I, the Lord your God, am one God. You shall worship nothing else. You are my idol. You are my image. You are the express image of Jesus Christ. A new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, cause you, not if you will walk in my statutes, but I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And you shall keep my judgments and do them. What is it saying? He says he's living inside of you, working and moving his own way in you. Oh, praise be to God. What a blessing to be a believer. What a blessing to live in this end time when we know the fullness of the Holy Spirit has come upon the church and we can look upon it and recognize that I can't live this on my own, but it's not me. It's the same God that lived a perfect life when he walked in flesh, living and breathing and working his own will through me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, my, for ye are epistles. Written in your hearts, known and read of all men. For, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of your heart. A real heart of flesh, not a stony heart. The same quickening power that was in Christ is in you because he's in you. You can't help but believe and have real confidence in the word of God because substance faith is not based in our ability. It's not based in our DNA. It's not based in our IQ. It's not based in our well-being or anything to do with this corruptible flesh. But substance faith is the person of Jesus Christ indwelling your soul. That's why there can only be faith or doubt in your soul. He's either there or he isn't. There's no black, white bird. It's either black or it's white. You cannot, and if also faith and doubt cannot coexist. You can't have part faith and part doubt. Because the faith that's in your soul is Jesus Christ in there. It is the word of God in there. That's why Brother Branham would say the definite identification that you are born again is that you can believe and receive and say amen to every word of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It shall quicken your mortal body too. How can it fail? It raised him up. Therefore, every word must be fulfilled. Identification, he goes on again, he says, but this plan of salvation is an individual affair with you. Hallelujah. There, Andrew, what if so-and-so falls away? Will you fall away? No, it's an individual affair. Not based on anyone else. Speaking in tongues, there's a quote, speaking in tongues is a gift of God. Dancing in the Spirit is the presence and glory of God. 
It's right on the message identification. It's all in one quote. Boom, four or five sentences right there. He says, but for you to let your character be molded into the image of God, that he projects himself, and you are his idol, walking on earth the expressed image of him. He just walks things up a notch, up a notch, up a notch, up a notch. Where he says, listen, salvation, that's an individual affair. He goes up a notch. He says, speaking in tongues, that's a gift of God. Dancing in the spirit, that is the very presence and glory of God. But to let your character be molded into the image of God that he projects himself. You become his idol walking on earth and are the expressed image of him. Oh, praise be to God. What's in you is incorruptible. It's not affected by the corruptible because it is incorruptible. And we know, in the, oh my, let me just carry on. It says, but it cannot. Incorruptible means it cannot corrupt. It cannot be corrupted. Neither can it decay. It is incapable of emitting corruption. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. Praise be to God. And if what's in there is incorruptible, it is incapable of emitting anything that is corruptible. It is not flexible. It stands firm. It has the power to overcome any enemy, obstacle, or trial. That is the believer. Three kinds of believers in every church. But the believer is Christ indwelling. How could I not believe? He says in the message, the evening messenger, he says, now you can be justified without being sanctified. You can be sanctified without having the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He says, but the Holy Ghost is the indwelling presence of Christ's power in the spirit. Now we see the natural types, the spiritual, so the church is in its complete maturity now. How is it in its complete maturity? The indwelling presence of Christ's power in the Spirit. Oh, now this takes it further. Christ in your soul, you're born again. He says now that indwelling presence comes out and takes over the Spirit. That's the church coming to full maturity. Because that is what it talks about. When it says, this corruptible shall put on incorruption. This flesh is corruptible. But when what's on the inside of the inside begins to push out, and the spirit begins to take on an incorruptible attribute, it has to put on incorruption. Talks about it again in what was the Holy Ghost given for? The same Holy Spirit that saved the Lutherans, that sanctified the Methodists, that baptized the Pentecost, is now setting in order the coming of the Lord Jesus. When it'll be so powerful, that body will come into this group, a church. What body? The Lord Jesus Christ will indwell a group, a church, 
that'll draw the rest of them from the grave. There'll be a resurrection. That's what the Holy Ghost is for. Think about it. It was in the Laodicean church age that he begins to write about a new creation where he says that in this time, he made sure that at this time, he would be in the midst of the individual receiving all of the glory in the last time that the body, Jesus Christ, would come into the individual's the church, and would bring them to a place that it would be so great that it will draw the rest of them out of the grave just like he did. Oh, praise be to God. Just like he did. Why? It has to repeat itself because it's the same spirit. It's the same one that when he was here, when he came to the Lazarus, when he went to funerals, people raised. I would love to be at a funeral when Jesus is there. Because there wasn't a funeral anymore. He came to the funeral of the widow of Nain. What happened? He got up. And he lived again. He came to the funeral of Lazarus. What happened? He got up. And he raised again. He came to the funeral of Jairus' daughter. What happened? She got up. And she lived again. What makes you think Jesus would do anything different when Hebrews 13, 8 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he and his body comes and indwells the church, there has to be a resurrection. Because it has to be so great. It will draw the rest of them out of the grave. Oh, praise be to God. So is it today. We don't try to be no big person. We don't care what people say about us. Our name ain't nothing, it's his name. Our life isn't nothing, it's his life. It's his power, not our power. There is only one thing that we love to do, it's see him glorified. How can it be when he's glorified in in us by his resurrection that's in us? Oh, that's the very essence of the message that he is alive. Amen. We see him represented again as he was today. Oh, did you, did you get that? See, our desire is not to be glorified. Our desire is not to be a big name. Our desire is not to boast in some church or make some Sunday school or try to bring in or hog tie or push in or offer a picnic party or big stars or buttons or something else like that. That's not our desire. Our desire is to see him glorified, not with self-pride, but in us. Our lives to prove that he is alive and living in us. Oh, but I can't get myself out of the way. So when Brother Branham, when Andrew Dodd is not even a thought of, and you don't, you, oh my, you're not even thought of till we just see Jesus glorified among us. See him, that's our desire. It gives us the quickening power. It gives us joy to know that we are with him. Flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, being the bride of him and seeing his same vindicated methods proving in us that he is now risen from the dead. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. I want nothing more than to be someone that knows Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Than to know that I know that he's risen. That I serve a risen Savior. He's alive in the world today because he's right here. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What is it? The quickening power coming to the church, making her ready. 
This hour that we're approaching, quickening power, oh God, help us to receive it. Help us to believe it. Just like that man said, Lord, help thou my lack of substance. Help us to receive the quickening power, Jesus Christ, the very indwelling God among us. Oh, it just depends on what attitude you take, whether it's going to do you any good or not, see? He says you have to believe that. If you don't believe it, it won't do you one bit of good. He says, oh, I heard a guy, let me close on this quote. The musicians want to get ready to come. I heard a guy say one time, he says, they'll say, you people, why, if you have this kind of power, you ought to go out and tell people what you can do. He says, far be it from a real Christian saying a thing like that. Surely we don't claim no power. We do one thing. When they look around with all this power upon them, they saw Jesus only. Oh, and the real true believer don't care whether he's backing up a denomination or nothing about it. He says he only wants one thing, and that's to see that the glorified Christ. Oh, that must makes any difference. A real true Mount Transfiguration experience only glorifies Jesus Christ. Oh, praise be to God. What's he talking about? When God takes you over to himself before the angels and does something and fills you and puts you in that place, says, this is my son, hear ye him. He says, it'll only glorify God if it's real. If someone wants to come and say, well, I got it, I'm adopted son, and look at me, I doubt it. But it'll glorify God. It'll only glorify Jesus. It didn't glorify Moses. It didn't glorify Elijah. It didn't glorify themselves. It didn't glorify nothing else on Mount Transfiguration. They only seen the glorified Christ. And any true believer, that's what's in his heart, the glory, what's in his heart to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to get the people to see. Not say, well, come join our group. See if, oh, if you just come and do this or do that or don't do that or don't do that. See God's word, which is Christ magnified and fulfill the promise of this day, this great hour of resurrection. Oh, it gives them joy to know that we are with him. Flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. What a joy. That's the only thing the real believer cares about. Other places he would say, when you're shut in and your curtain drops around you and you're in the Shekinah glory of God, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter if they say, oh, but did you know, but did you know, but did you know? It doesn't matter. It's you and Christ. It's you with him alone. At that time, it's incorruptible. They don't care about no denomination. They don't care about no organization. They don't care about what other women think. They don't care. Certainly not. They don't care. They won't do these things that other women do. These men won't do those things. They won't hang around and baby some other organization and keep things from being put out, keeping from being put out. He says, no, they're afraid. They won't have a meal ticket. No, no. They don't care about those things. It's all nonsense to them. There's only one heart's desire. That's to see Jesus Christ glorified. Their conduct must be with God. It must absolutely, nothing else, but just the glory of Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus? The Word. Just take the Word. Now notice, 
and seeing his same vindicated method proving his resurrection. Now what is it? Seeing your life by his promised word. And he said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Proving he's alive and the same in the individual. Oh, praise be to God. Let's stand to our feet. The incorruptible God in you. The individual. The real believer is the faith of God moving in you. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Oh, my. The real believer is the faith of God that moves in you. You are his purpose. The bride of Christ, the threefold purpose of God, the last purpose, the last fold of that purpose is you. He could come and be again in flesh knowing your only heart's desire is to give him the glory. He made sure he chose, he elected the right person. He didn't make a mistake when he chose you. He made sure he chose you because you would give him all the glory. You would magnify him, glorify him, not seeking anything of yourself, but giving him the glory. What a mighty God we serve. Why don't we sing that together? What a mighty we serve oh what a mighty God we serve angels bow before him heaven and earth adore him what a mighty God we serve Jesus is the God 